You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. Um, So last week we took a break from our sermon series uh, to hear from Josh and Kimbra uh, to see how the Lord was at work in Uganda. Uh, But this week we're going to dive right back in. Um, As I've said in the past, this sermon series is called uh, History is His Story. Uh, We're we're walking through uh, 16 uh, key texts in the Bible that kind of show the the overarching uh, narrative of the Bible's story. Uh, And our goal is to see that, that all of history, from creation to the cross to the celebration with the Lord in eternity, um, all of history really is his story. Um, So we're diving back into this series. Uh, We're looking at Exodus uh, chapter 2, the entire chapter, uh, verses 1 through 25. Uh, Let me read this for us. Uh, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman, Uh, And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took him, uh, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done with to him. Uh, Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. Uh, She saw the basket among the reeds uh, and sent her servant woman and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. Uh, She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Uh, Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Uh, She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling in the sand. And he went out the next day, or he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian and seven, had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs uh, to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. 
And when they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. And she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So it was uh, 2011, and I was serving overseas as a missionary. Uh, I had been in the Middle East for about six months, uh, and I really knew just enough Arabic to be dangerous. Uh, my confidence level in Arabic was probably about here, but my actual speaking ability was probably somewhere uh, down there. I had been studying with a local pastor learning uh, spiritual Arabic, uh, and he'd been helping me write out my testimony. And I got to the point where I, I thought I had it mastered, it was memorized. I was like, now, now is the time to, to try this out. So the next time I got into a taxi cab, was driving across the city, um, I thought that, that now was uh, the perfect opportunity. I, I had a, a captive audience uh, in this taxi with me. So struck up a conversation. Uh, the taxi driver, I'm sure it was very clear that I was not a native Arabic speaker. So he asked me, he said, where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm from America. And he goes, oh, you're from America. Are you a Christian? And I said, why, yes. Yes, I am a Christian. Uh, are you a Muslim? And he said, yes. And so I asked him when he uh, became a Muslim. Uh, and he, he, he looked at me very confused at that question. Uh, and he said, well, I, I didn't become a Muslim. I, I was born a Muslim. And, and I thought to myself, like, here's my opportunity. This is it. I've got it. And so I told him, I was like, oh, well, that's interesting because I, I wasn't born a Christian. I became a Christian. Uh, let, let me tell you uh, how I became a Christian. And so I thought that I had the perfect setup to dive into my testimony. So I, I started to tell him the story of how I became a Christian when I was 12 years old. But literally, that is as far as I got into the story because I looked over and he, he's given me this really, really strange glance. And it was then that I realized that I hadn't actually said I became a Christian when I was 12 years old. What I actually said to him was I became the Messiah when I was 12 years old. Uh, the, Christian, or the Arabic word for Christian is Masihi. The Arabic word for Messiah is Messiah. And so I had called myself the Messiah 
uh, instead of a Christian. And I did what I could uh, to try to, to save that conversation. Uh, but when you start off by telling somebody that, that you're the Messiah, uh, the conversation just kind of goes downhill from there. And it was kind of in that moment uh, that I began to feel like the least likely individual uh, to ever be used by the Lord. I mean, here I was, this pasty white boy from rural northeast Missouri. Uh, before I moved to the Middle East, I don't know that I could have pointed out most Arab countries on a map. And there were Arab two- and three-year-olds with probably a better grasp of the language than me at the time. And it, it just felt like I was the, the least likely person uh, to, to ever be used by the Lord. Uh, I felt like he had chosen the least likely messenger to proclaim his good news to others. Uh, but, but the longer I am a follower of Christ, uh, and the more I study of the lives of other Christ followers, uh, the more I realize that, that God delights and using unlikely individuals to unfold his plans. Uh, and that's what we're going to study this morning uh, as we look at this text in Exodus chapter 2. Uh, we're we're going to seek to answer a question. And the question is, is who does God use to rescue those who have cried out to him in help? We, we know at the end of that passage that you heard me just read that his people groan because of their slavery and they cry out to him in help. Those cries do come up to God. God does hear their groanings, but who does he use to set those captives free? That's the question we're going to answer this morning. Uh, we're going to break this passage down into three different scenes. Uh, each of them help us to, to give us a different aspect of that answer. You'll see first that he uses the unlikely, second that he uses the imperfect, and lastly and ultimately uh, he just uses those whom he has chosen. So let's look at this first one. This first scene, you see that the Lord uses the unlikely. The, the first 10 verses of this story kind of set up this first scene for us. Uh, you read about the birth of Moses, whom God is going to send as a rescuer to free his people uh, as they have been enslaved in Egypt for the last 400 years. Uh, and you can't deny that after you read this story of Moses' birth, it kind of sounds like something that was in a soap opera. Like, it is a weird story. Pharaoh wants to kill all of these Hebrew boys, uh, and so, you know, his... Uh, Moses' mother, he hides, she hides him in a basket in the Nile. Uh, he's magically rescued by none other than Pharaoh's own daughter. And then there's kind of this interesting turn of events where it's Moses' biological mother uh, who is hired to nurse him. And then eventually, somehow, 
Moses ends up growing up in Pharaoh's own household, uh, accepted as, as a royal son. Uh, it's a complicated story, and it's a weird story, and, and Moses seems like an unlikely candidate to serve as a savior to God's people. Uh, but, but this isn't the first or the last time in Scripture that you'll see an unlikely hero uh, that God uses to rescue those who he loves. It's not the first time. If you think back to Genesis chapter 6, the Lord chooses to send a flood to destroy the world because of sin and corruption, but he chooses one man to save one family from that flood in order that creation can start over. And so Noah builds an ark and he covers it in pitch and he endures this long stint out at sea until the Lord rescues him by letting the waters subside. And that same Hebrew word for Noah's ark is the same word being utilized to describe this basket that Moses has been placed into. So this baby is put inside a tiny ark that is also covered in pitch and must also endure a stint out on the water until the Lord rescues him by sending Pharaoh's daughter. But just as Noah would go on to give humanity a fresh start, so too will Moses go on to give the, God's people a fresh start as he will later rescue them from Egypt. So, so it's not the first time you hear this story, uh, but it's also not the last. It's not the last time that the Lord will use an unlikely candidate to save his people. Uh, Moses was born during a time of intense persecution when Pharaoh sought to kill all of the Hebrew boys. Now, perhaps you can recall a time later in history when a man by the name of Herod uh, also sought to kill every male child under the age of two. And just as Moses would try to flee from Egypt, Mary and Joseph had to flee to Egypt until Herod's uh, death in order to save their son. Uh, I'm sure many individuals uh, would have looked out on the Nile River at that baby Moses swaddled in this floating basket, uh, and they would have had a difficult time believing that he was the one that was going to save the Israelites. And those individuals, they too would probably, if they had been able to glimpse the baby Lord Jesus swaddled in a manger, nestled among animals and shepherds, I think they too would have had a difficult time believing he would one day free the world from their slavery to sin. But, but God chooses unlikely individuals to rescue his people when they groan and they cry out to him in help. And, and so remember this week that, that if you have submitted to Christ as Lord and Savior, then ultimately 
you have already been rescued by the unlikeliest means as the creator allowed himself to be killed by his own creation in order to save you. But, but also know that, that even if you feel like you are an unlikely candidate to, to ever be used for the advancement of the Lord's kingdom, know that, that you're often exactly the kind of candidate the Lord loves to use. So that's the first scene. He uses someone who is unlikely. Scene two, we also see that he uses the imperfect. The story fast folds to a time when uh, Moses is grown up. Uh, he's living in the royal household of Pharaoh. And despite living among the Egyptians, uh, he's keenly aware of his heritage and he goes out to his own people. And what he witnesses is an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And Moses is angry. He, he sees oppression happening firsthand right before his eyes, and he is frustrated. Enough so that he, he takes justice into his own hands, uh, and when he thinks that nobody is watching, he strikes the Egyptian dead, and then he buries his body in the sand. And afterwards, Moses goes out another day, uh, and this time he sees another struggle with a Hebrew striking another Hebrew. And so he tries to mediate this conflict, but they mock him saying, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And you learn from this story that though God had a perfect plan to rescue his people, Moses is an imperfect part of that plan. And I want to dwell on this for just a moment because there is a treasure trove of lessons that, that you and I can learn from Moses's mistakes. All right, let's start by learning that it is right to be grieved by oppression. It is right to be grieved by oppression. When Moses saw one of his own people being beaten by an Egyptian, he was right to be grieved by what he saw. He was right to be angry. He was right to be furious. Even Jesus himself got angry in the face of injustice. Twice in Jesus's ministry, we see him uh, enter into the Lord's temple and he says that it has been turned into a house of robbers and he flips over the tables of the money changers and he makes a whip out of cord and he chases everyone away. He does that not once, but twice during his own ministry. And, and if it was right for Moses to be angry, uh, if it was good for Jesus to flip over a table, uh, then it is okay for you to feel appalled when you see the oppressions and the injustices that are happening in the world. If Christ 
has freed you from your own chains of sin, then whenever and wherever you see other people still in bondage, it is okay to be outraged. From, from the, the unborn to the elderly, whether it, it's people that are oppressed by society or Satan, wherever injustice lies, what, whatever form it takes, it should cause you to grieve and even seethe with anger. But let's also learn that you can't fight for that justice in an unjust manner. It is right to, to be grieved when you see oppression, but let us also learn that you can't fight that justice in an unjust manner. Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he fought sin with sin, and he committed murder. The Egyptian was made in the very image of God, yet in an attempt to fight for justice, Moses committed the greatest injustice of all, and he took the fellow life of an image bearer. And church, when, when you see wrong in this world, you should use your voice to call it out. You should get down on your knees and pray that it will end. You, you should force your feet to, to get out and vote. But, but at the end of the day, don't let there be the stain of blood on your own hands. Don't fight sin with sin. You must trust that the Lord has heard the cries of the enslaved and that he will remember his people, and he will fight for his people, and that one day he will right every wrong. And he may even use you as a tool to bring it all about, but until he does, do not try to take it into your own hands. Be grateful that the Lord still uses an imperfect man like Moses to rescue his people, uh, but don't repeat his mistakes. That's the second scene we see. The third we see, the, the last part of this passage. Um, in it, we see that not only does the Lord use the unlikely, not only does he use the imperfect, uh, but lastly and, and ultimately, he uses whomever he has chosen. God is in the business of rescuing his people, uh, and he will, will use whoever it takes in order to accomplish that mission. Uh, the last scene is kind of a, a strange one. Uh, we see Moses run away. Uh, he's afraid that Pharaoh will kill him, so he tries to escape to a land called Midian. Uh, and there, there's a moment when it almost seems like the, the rescue plan of God has taken a drastic detour. The, the unlikely hero that the Lord was raising up to rescue his people uh, has now become a fugitive 
forced to live in a foreign land. There's this strange story where Moses saves uh, these daughters from the hands of shepherds that don't want them to water their own flocks. And Moses ends up marrying one of those daughters and they have a son and they settle down together. And all the while you wonder, what is the Lord doing to those that, that you have seen who have been oppressed and are living in bondage in Egypt? You, you see in this, this last scene of the story and, and you wonder why everything seems to, to suddenly be on hold. Where is God in the midst of this? especially when there is heart-wrenching oppression taking place and God's people are enslaved. But lest we think that, that God has forgotten his original plans, the, the end of this chapter reminds us that as the people of Israel are groaning because of their slavery, and, and as they are crying out for help, those cries have reached the Lord, and he has remembered his covenant. Verse 25 aptly ends this chapter by saying, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God chose to use Moses to save his people. And despite his flaws and failures, and even though he found himself far away in the land of Midian, waiting until the Pharaoh died, the Lord had not forgotten his people. He sees them, and he knows and he has chosen Moses to be their rescuer. And in his perfect timing, his people will be saved. And my prayer and my plea for you here this morning is that you would please understand this as well. Whatever struggles you face, God knows. Whatever pain he knows. Whatever the, the heartache, uh, the headache, the hurt, he has seen it and he knows. If Christ has rescued you from sin, though temporary tears may still linger, he will one day rescue you from those as well. One day, those tears will be wiped away. Now, now you may feel like you are in a, a season of groaning in your life. You, you may feel that this season, you are crying out to the Lord, wondering if he has even heard your voice at all. But, but if you have submitted to the Son of God, if you have committed your life to him, he has already delivered you from the greatest bonds of sin. And he will one day deliver you from every other trial and tribulation as well when you finally dwell with him in eternity. 
But even before those days come, understand that God has seen your plight. He has heard your cries and he knows. He has not forgotten. So the question we sought to answer this morning was, who does God use to rescue his people? And we've seen the, the answer uh, in this passage and what it has to offer. He uses the unlikely. He uses the imperfect. Ultimately, he uses whom he has chosen. Now, the only other questions that remain are these. First, have you let the Lord rescue you? Or or are you still locked away in sin? And if he has rescued you, how are you letting him use you to rescue others? Though it may feel that you are an unlikely, imperfect part of God's plan, if he has chosen to save you, then he has chosen you to save others as well, to, to use you to save others. May we not forget that this week. Let me pray.